Hi, I'm Al Mace and I'm an eating disorder and body dysmorphia therapist. I work with a range of clients from those struggling with the restriction, the obsessing around food and the binging, the overeating, the stress eating and those suffering with bulimia as well. Or perhaps you're just really wanting to get your weight under control, but it's not happening. The more you are controlling yourself, the more out of control you are becoming and your body is becoming. And I really do understand these feelings because I have also been there and had it all. And that is why I've been running my practice for the last five years, helping anyone, men and women, overcome these obstacles that can actually get in the way of you living a purposeful and happy, fulfilled life. So if this is aligned to you and you want support, come and find me on Instagram at I am Elmace or my website is www.elmace.com and I'll happily offer you a discovery call to see which option is best for you and hopefully get you sorted so you can live the most fulfilled and free life. Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today I want to talk to you all about five things that you need in eating disorder recovery. Now I guess there are many more than five things that you might need, but these are some of the kind of five things that I deem to be particularly essential and helpful on your journey. Okay, so I'm gonna talk through these things and hopefully it'll give you hope, inspiration and ideas for how you can make sure you've got some of these things in your life, on your journey, that you can kind of utilize and help you to keep taking those steps. So, number one, a vision of the future. Now, I know it's very common actually for people with eating disorders sometimes to not really have much of a vision of the future, to be living very much in a kind of slightly strange warp timeline of perhaps finding it very hard to think about anything beyond the first few weeks or months ahead. But I guess what we need to really remember is that eating disorder recovery is not simply about weight change or shifting your habits around food or even re-evaluating your worth and body image. It's about so much more. I mean, it is about these things, the food, the body image, all of the behaviors. We need to address these things, but recovery is about much more. And if we only focus on this changing the symptoms without going deeper and truly beginning to consider who we are, what we like doing, what brings us joy, we can end up in that quasi-recovered place where we feel like, well, I'm eating a bit more, my body image is a bit better, maybe I've reduced my binging and purging, but I'm still feeling really stuck, I'm still feeling really unfulfilled, and I'm still feeling really obsessed with food. So eating disorder recovery is about tapping into what a meaningful life might look like for you, thinking a bit more about your purpose, thinking about what genuinely brings you joy and fulfillment, thinking about where you want to live, how do you like to spend your time, and what kind of relationships are important to you. Now I think when you have an eating disorder, and I know this was certainly true for me, you've often lost your way 
you don't really know who you are anymore. You've lost your identity. And I think in society, we're so conditioned to be a certain way and without even realizing it, we're often leading someone else's life or living up to the expectations of others. So I think as well, you know, the whole way our education system is designed, etc. There's a definite kind of trajectory that one feels one should be on to becoming successful and to kind of like creating a life of your dreams and finding happiness, etc., etc. But I think for many people, that traditional system isn't the thing that works for them ideally. Sometimes they need to, we need to think a bit more outside the box. And perhaps if school wasn't your best environment or one where you could really flourish, it doesn't mean that you're not good enough and that you don't have skills and talents and things that you can utilize in other areas. Because I think sometimes we can get very boxed in. And I know many clients I've worked with perhaps haven't had the best experiences at school. And then that set them off on a journey where they just haven't really felt good enough. So sometimes we just haven't really stopped to think about what we truly desire and long for. So it's so helpful to consider what is important to you. And if you were to put aside your financial worries, what other people think, your own fears, and if you could put aside the how you're going to do things, if you just can like dream and just think about what really lights you up, what do you really want? That can be helpful just to journal on some of these things because even if some of these things feel really impossible right now, just by recognizing what's important to you, you know, where you feel drawn towards in your life, this opens up possibilities and hope and inspiration and gives you a clearer idea about who you are and the path you're meant to be on. You could even maybe create a vision board or write in your journal or speak out loud to a trusted friend. Really don't worry about the how. Just allow yourself to dream and hope. And this will help you tap into your deepest values and desires. Now, an eating disorder is often a coping, coping strategy against the pressures we feel that we have to do, the things that we have to comply to. It can often be an escape from the life treadmill, an expression of words that we can't say out loud, but we're communicating through our bodies. So an eating disorder is often a way of just showing the world actually that I'm not really happy I don't really feel aligned with my values. I feel overwhelmed. I feel a lot of pressure to do things that I'm not even sure are right for me. But maybe we've never felt we've had permission to question these things, permission to think outside the box because of we're so strongly conditioned by society, our friends, the culture and everything. And if you have no idea where to start, don't worry. And maybe think about what you like to do as a child before you became so conditioned by the world. You know, I think back to myself when I was about 11 and the things I loved to do back then were bossing around my cousins and sisters and getting them to like act out plays. And I would be very much the bossy director who would write the script, who would like paint the scenery very badly, who would organize the costumes who would very much kind of take that leadership role. I also loved music and organizing things as well. I was, I remember having a Madonna concert with all my siblings, this just shows how old I am, when I was around 14. And we were all like sort of dressed up in bin bags and um, playing 
Madonna music and dancing around the living room, but it was something that I had very much organised. And I used to love designing obstacle courses for my sisters to do in the garden. I used to just love being a bit of a leader, a bit of an organiser, a bit of a bossy person, a bit of a creator of things. And it's so interesting because of I'm not doing, like I'm not a kind of director of plays today or I'm not like working in fitness, organising obstacle courses for people, but I'm using so many of those skills. You know, I'm using those kind of creative skills, those leadership skills. I'm kind of inspiring others. And that's the kind of thing that really lights me up. So when I look back to my childhood, I can really recognise where my strengths lay, what I got a lot of natural joy from. You know, no one was putting pressure on me to do any of that. That's just what instinctively came to me. And you will have some of your things that you, you know, you have something similar when you really look back. And if you're really struggling with this as well, because I know not everyone listening to this had a really free childhood, maybe you had to take on a lot of pressure from very young and you had to be really responsible for the adults in your life. Maybe you, you were a young carer. Maybe there was a lot of trauma at home, so you just couldn't be a free child. So then it might be a bit harder to think back to what did I really love to do? But don't worry, it's never too late to get in touch with your inner child and to recognize your innate loves and desires, okay? So you can just very, very slowly begin to learn that as an adult and to begin to gently explore that. And there's no right and wrong with this, okay? I think we can sometimes feel like there's a right way to be, there's a wrong way to be, especially with all the kind of social media and perfected stuff we see. Now, I know in my own recovery, I decided early on that I wanted to support others with eating disorders. And for me, that gave me a lot of purpose and a lot of hope and a lot of inspiration. But this isn't for everyone. I don't think everyone that suffers from an eating disorder wants to go on and help people. For some people, that is not their path at all. So I had always been as well, perhaps the person that people would talk to and share their problems with. I enjoyed listening. I was quite fascinated by people. So once I had the goal of wanting to work with an eating disorders, being ill was just not compatible with the change I wanted. So in a way, it gave me a focus, a purpose. It gave me a beacon of hope. It gave me that focus and clarity. It gave me like courses and education and like-minded people to focus on. And it gave me like a lot of connection, a lot of meaning, something to really get out of bed for that meant so much more than my body image, my struggles with food. And actually then I started to get that feedback loop as well because as I began to do something that I just really loved and that really lit me up and gave me so much hope and purpose, it was like positive feedback loop. So I gained self-esteem and self-worth from being around other people that I was learning with, from being able to start, you know, working as a counsellor, you know, in very, very sort of small baby step ways in the beginning. But that really helped me to step on a different path. So I didn't really want to cling to that sick role and the eating disorder anymore. Number two, the next thing you need in eating disorder recovery is courage. So you need to be brave and step out of your comfort zone if you want to change. Now, for all of us as human beings, we love our comfort zones. Our comfort zone is safe and familiar and warm and cozy, and it can often feel really daunting to leave it. 
but often as well, the comfort zone can also be restrictive, really limiting and soul crushing, and it keeps you stuck. Now, in my own journey, taking steps to get out of a home situation that was not serving me and that was contributing to me being unwell was my lifesaver. So I went off to Sheffield University, And if you listened to my podcast before, you know that my dad didn't really agree with university. So I was sort of self-funding myself. I didn't get a grant as well because he had a good income. So I was in this situation where I knew that if I wanted to get away and to kind of lead my life, I was going to have to fund this myself. And it was all very scary. You know, back then I wasn't sure if I'd be able to fund myself. I wasn't sure if it was going to work out. I was worried I might fail and not finish my degree. I was really scared of all that uncertainty and I was really sort of scared of taking that leap into the unknown with very little support. But somewhere deep in my soul, I knew that I needed to do it. And when I went off to Sheffield, it was a very bumpy and emotionally turbulent road at times. I was a bit all over the place, you know, I was still struggling with bulimia and it definitely impacted my ability to enjoy and fully immerse myself in the university experience. However, it gave me some space to begin some healing. I was away from certain things that weren't serving me and it gave me some emotional space to start to come back to myself and to begin to find my voice again. So it was a really, really helpful decision, although it wasn't something that I naturally was kind of feeling really comfortable with at the time. It was massively out of my comfort zone. It was definitely kind of a road less traveled. Then after I'd been to uni, I had a place to do a master's in nutrition in London. But as I was finishing at Sheffield, I delayed it and I decided I'm going to go to Australia for a year. And it was quite an impulsive decision at the time. Intuitively, I kind of had a really strong pull towards going traveling and I knew I needed a break from education. I felt like I'd been on the treadmill of education for so long. I was so ready just to do something a bit more free, to travel, to have different experiences and just to leave the UK and see something different. So I went on my own to Australia, although I did travel for six weeks of that period with one of my really good friends. I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't know anyone there. I didn't have a job. I was quite naive when I look back. I was quite unsure about myself, but it was one of the best decisions I ever made. And at the time as well, I wasn't really sure if I would still be able to do my master's because again, I was funding my master's. I had written off two different organizations to get funding to complete my master's. And some of these organisations had agreed to fund me and support me, but this had been to go in a particular year. So then I had to kind of contact them and say, look, I want to go travelling for a year. Will you still fund me? And I thought, you know, that this is going to be quite a risky decision because of if I'm prepared to go off and spend money on travelling, are they actually going to fund my master's? But anyway, they did. I was very, very fortunate. So, of course, not everyone's healing journey is going to involve travel or jetting off to places. I think, you know, we're all different in terms of what we want to do, what is meaningful to us. But it might involve a change in your environment, stepping out of your comfort zone and creating emotional and physical space for yourself. It could mean leaning into things that feel scary, 
but also exciting and full of possibility. Now, I know for me, when I went off to Australia, I was still struggling with bulimia, although my symptoms were probably reduced from when I first went to Sheffield. But I was still struggling. It was still something that was sort of happening. I was probably still binging and purging once a week or something. And I was still quite preoccupied with my body image. I still didn't have the best relationship with food. But actually, going off to Australia, meeting different people, falling in love, going to different places, traveling, just having time alone, coming back to myself. It was such a valuable experience. And it would have been very easy kind of not to go at that time, just to think, will I cope? Will I survive? Am I just going to get myself in a real mess and a real muddle? But actually, it's one of the best things I ever did. And it really gave me some emotional space to do some healing to help myself kind of get on the recovery road. And it was something right out of my comfort zone, which gave me a fresh perspective on everything as well. Okay, number three, be your own cheerleader. Now, in our world today, it's so easy to get tied up in external validation. So we outsource our worth to others. We look to others for the praise, the permission, the acknowledgement and validation. Now, of course, although it's wonderful to have supporters and people in your life standing beside you and supporting your decisions, it's also incredibly valuable to develop the skill in yourself. Now, I haven't always been good at this by any means. I've often been my worst critic. You know, I've probably said before on this podcast that any time in the past when I had to make a decision, I would ask about 20 people what they thought I should do. I'd then be in a right old muddle because I'd be trying to listen to all those different perspectives and then I'd be trying to please all those different people and I'd be so confused. I just would not know what my own internal voice was telling me. So I have over time learned to rely more on my internal trust and I think this increases year by year. You know, I can think in the last sort of five years, I've made some very big life decisions that have been almost quantum leaps of change. And that has involved a lot of digging really deep, a lot of self-reliance, a lot of inner trust, a lot of perhaps going against what people in my inner circle, in my family might have thought was best for me. But actually it has been the right thing to be able to really lean into that intuition, lean into that inner trust, and to just develop that sort of self-trust strength muscle. And the great thing is, once we start to work with our inner wisdom, that internal encourager and supporter, you know, our own voice, our own wisdom, that's available 24-7 if we choose to lean into this. Whereas when we're relying on others, you know, other people sometimes are a bit unreliable. You know, we need people in our lives, we need people to connect with, we need our supporters and cheerleaders, but we need to be able to rely on ourselves as well. And we need to be able to have trust in ourselves to make helpful decisions. So this can show up perhaps with appreciating aspects of appearance. You know, we can be much kinder and validating of ourselves rather than relying on other people to kind of be validating these things. But I think more importantly, we can really lean in and listen to our own voice and acknowledge our our different strengths, the different values we have, really get to know ourselves and back ourselves. And... I'm just thinking back to a situation a few years ago now, actually, quite a lot of years ago now, actually, and I had to do a radio interview 
Um, and it was, this was back in the day when I was working for a prisoner's families organization. And I used to be like the kind of helpline coordinator. And I used to do a lot of publicity for the organization as well to kind of promote issues for prisoner's families. And I remember once I had to do this radio interview and I had to go to this like satellite location where there was no one else there. I literally had to go into the studio myself. I had to collect a key from the local pub. It was a bit of a treasure hunt. Go down to this little radio studio, down this like alley, I think it was in Bury St Edmunds, let myself in, and then I had all these instructions of how I had to kind of get all the equipment working. And then, you know, I did my interview. And I remember at the time, just being so panicked by that and just thinking, I'm just gonna completely fluff this up. It's not gonna work out. Oh my goodness, this is just terrible. And just really, really panicking about it. But there was another part of me that was just saying to myself, Harriet, you can do this. It's all gonna work out. It's gonna be okay. And that's probably the beginnings of me being able to rely a bit more on that kind of inner voice, that inner wisdom, that inner trust. And actually I did the radio interview it was fine. I was actually really pretty happy with it. And every time we listen to our inner voice, we take those little steps out of our comfort zone, we build that self-trust muscle, and that is an amazing feeling. Number four. So number four, community support and friendship. So in my own recovery, friendship was absolutely as important to me as therapy, really. Perhaps even more so at different points. So particularly my time spent in Australia, so six weeks of my seven month trip was with one of my closest friends and she's still a really, really good friend today. And during that trip, we just really talked about everything really, just talked a lot about our childhoods, talked a lot about different things that happened, just processed a lot of emotion really, cleared a lot of stuff and had a lot of fun and adventures as well. It wasn't just all a great big therapy session. You know, I can think some of the experiences we had actually were just like giggling, laughing our heads off, just sharing some amazing times. But alongside that, we did have some very deep conversations and that was almost like therapy for me. So you need people in your life who want the best for you. You need people who are kind, encouraging, the listeners, the uplifters. You need people who are working towards their own goals, dreams and pulling themselves forward as well. Talking, sharing, being open, being vulnerable, it's so, so, so helpful. And I think it's something that many people with eating disorders struggle with. Often you're isolated, you're trying to manage alone, and we're not meant to be this way as humans. We need others, we need to connect. And although I think social media can keep us connected and there are lots of positive aspects of opening up doors so we can connect with people. We also have to be careful with this. I think nothing really beats that kind of human to human interaction. So have a reflect on who is in your life at the moment. Like they say, don't they, that we're the sum of the kind of five people we spend the most time with. So if you're around people who are uplifting and supportive and encouraging and generous and kind, that is gonna really make you feel so much better than if you're around people who are kind of negative and moaning all the time and criticizing people or shouting. You know, it, we need to really think about who we are around and to choose our friends carefully and to have boundaries in place. You know, it's okay to have boundaries. 
if you're someone with an eating disorder as well, you're probably a real empath. You probably soak up so much of the energy from people around you in the world. So you need to really think about who you surround yourself with, okay? And just notice, you know, like someone in your life may have great intentions. They may they may really love you. You might love them. But if when you're around them, you notice that they drain your energy, that they don't make you feel good about yourself, you might need to think about having a boundary in place and not spending quite so much time with them. And in contrast, people in your life that make you feel good, that make you feel excited to see them, that make you feel loved and special and wanted and inspired and uplifted, you want to be spending more time with those people because it will have such an impact on your well-being. And I think friendship, definitely for me, one of the most important factors in my eating disorder recovery and just my ongoing mental health journey. Number five, resources and support. So you might wish to invest in therapy or coaching because it can shortcut your progress. You know, if you can kind of learn and be guided by someone, that can be such a valuable investment. So you could read books, podcasts, watch YouTube videos. There's so much educational, personal development content out there these days. I just think myself, back in the day when I had an eating disorder, none of this stuff was available because I am quite old. But um, these days I have learned so much about other areas of personal development. You know, I've recovered from my eating disorder many years ago, but I'm still wanting to learn about business, about boundary setting, about relationships. I have learned so, so much on social media and immersing myself in the world of kind of like helpful educational podcasts and things that are really gonna drip feed and change my mind. And that feels so empowering. So it's important to find the voices that speak to you because we're already different, you know, for what is one person's really helpful, inspirational podcast might be someone else's just worst thing ever. So it's important to find the voices that speak to you. But if you absorb absorb yourself down these positive rabbit holes, you can work on so many different things and the drip feed impact of like reading a book, listening to a podcast, watching a YouTube video, if you incorporate these things into your world daily, you are going to really shift your consciousness in a very different way. You're going to become so much more self-aware. You're going to really be able to impact your change process so much. So I hope this has given you some food for thought. So just to summarize, Number one, have a vision for recovery. Number two, have courage to step out your comfort zone. Number three, community support and friendship, so important. Number four, be your own cheerleader. And number five, connect to resources and support that can help you on a daily basis. Okay, hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at the eating disorder therapist underscore. Please do join us for our inspirational event on Saturday the 30th of September, Inspiring Prevention of Eating Disorders and Body Image Issues. It's online, 13 different professionals speaking. You will be inspired and uplifted. If you enjoy this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you'd follow, rate and review as it helps it reach so many more listeners. Thank you so much for listening today and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon.